And so with that as a background, I started a series in the book of Acts, which is about the early church. Last week was Thanksgiving, and then uh, the, the week before that, or two weeks before that, I began and I spoke on the day of Pentecost, which was the birth, the time of the birth of the New Testament church. And then last week, uh, last week we looked at the first part of this paragraph that we're looking at for a few Sundays. So I'm going to invite you to stand and uh, let's read these words together from Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 42. And uh, this is the very beginning of the New Testament church. And, uh, you know, I don't know if this was 48 hours after Pentecost or a week after. We don't know, but it was very, very soon. And, uh, and it tells us the kind of activities that the Christians of that first church were involved in. Why don't we say these words together if, if we have them there? actually the uh, first three slides I think of my sermon there we go okay starting with they they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles all the believers were together and had everything in common They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Thank you. Please be seated. And as we look at these activities, there are, of course, some that we can't duplicate. Uh, You can't duplicate uh, miracles. And we need to recognize that, of course, God is still doing miracles. And uh, we shouldn't be surprised, but it's not something that we can duplicate or make happen. But there are other things here that are, I call them functions, activities that uh, I believe most church leaders would would say the same thing that they're not only something that we can duplicate but they're something we're responsible for certain things that should be an activity should be a function in every church every local congregation in every time and place. I'm talking about the teaching of the Word. I'm talking about the fellowship that I'm going to talk about this morning. Praying is in there. Uh, Lord's Supper is in there. And uh, the worship is in there. And outreach to those around them is in there. And and so we're going to talk about those functions. And uh, Last week we began with, I think, the one that has to be like the compass for the church, the learning, the apostles' teaching. And then today I want to talk about the second one that's mentioned there. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching 
and to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship and to fellowship. And I'm sure you've heard the, uh, the term tossed around many times that the word fellowship is koinia in the Greek. And, it, and it, the basic meaning of that is that it's a partnership. Uh, having something in common, a close relationship. The word was often used of marriage. And, uh, and I use the term community in a, a meaning, meaning something very similar. Uh, not community in the sense of a geographical area as we are part of the community of Edmonton or I come from the community of La Glace, Alberta, but community in the sense of really sharing life. Fellowship. And, uh, and so that's, that's what we have here. And um, it, it has to do then with what they, what they were sharing together as we sang about, you know? Um, praying together, worshiping together, learning together, uh, as a community reaching out to others. Uh, but before I, I break this down into two main points, I want to say that it seems like the experience of fellowship, the experience of community was like the big tent in which everything else was taking place. They were learning, but they were learning in community. They were praying, but they were praying in community. It's like, like I say, it's, it's the big tent. I think that's a good way and helpful way for us to look at it too. It's in our togetherness that these functions are happening. And the things that happen outside, we mentioned Tracy out there being a good influence, but somehow when the community, our togetherness is as it should be, it brings the best out of the individuals. And so that they can be better salt and light out in the world. Well, two things I want to mention here first and then talk about something that's more practical and relevant for us immediately. But to begin with, as we look at God's redemptive plan here, as it began to be administered, enforced, executed on the day of Pentecost, two things. God created a people. And then secondly, it was a people who were experiencing the community, the fellowship that I'm talking about. But he created a people. Verse 41, it tells us that as Peter was telling the Jesus story and uh, warning them, you know, he had said earlier, we see it up there in uh, verse 36 and so on, or above there where he said when they ask what they're to do, he says, repent and be baptized. But it says he, he warned them with many other wor words there in 40. Save yourself from this corrupt generation. And then it says those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. It became a... He, he was creating a people. Uh, creating a people. This wasn't only about the 3,000 people uh, being saved but it was about 3,000 plus the 120 in the upper room being made into a special people. A special people. As individuals were responding by repenting and being baptized, guess what happened? They were added to the number. It was a corporate entity. 
Uh, no Lone Ranger Christianity here. Uh, none of this that if, you know, if you, we used to sing, if you know the Lord, you need nobody else to see you through. That's true in a sense. Individually, we, we need especially the Lord. But it's not really right as we're singing that song in fellowship with one another. <laughs> and there's an irony there. It's because we're together and we have support from one another that we are even in that frame of mind to be looking to the Lord, you see. And God is especially concerned about bringing people together, creating a people. He doesn't simply take individuals, forgive them, and then leave them in isolation from other believers. They become part of the church, his faith community. That's been his way from day one. The promise to Abraham, I'm going to make of you a great nation. He created the people, Israel, out of whom the Messiah would come, who would be the Savior for the whole world. And when Jesus came on the scene, he called many disciples, and then he especially worked with 12 of them who became apostles. And we might say, well, why 12? Well, I think it's fairly obvious. 12 tribes of Israel, continuity, and now these 12 apostles, they, begin, they become the foundation of the New Testament church. People, a corporate entity. Earlier he had expressed his intention, his plan. I will build my church. Corporate entity. And it's not surprising when you consider that the outcome of sin is separation. Sin separates. But the gospel reconciles, brings people together. Years later, that same Peter would write in his first letter uh, to, to Christians, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, that would be Gentiles that he's writing to, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And all of these terms that he describes them, people belonging to God and a holy nation and a priesthood and so on, these were expressions in the Old Testament that were applied to Israel. And now it's applied to the New Testament church. People, people. Well, I stress this, and I think uh, in our society today there is so much individualism. And uh, that would be more true in North America, where we are haves, okay, than in many cultures, where I wouldn't be surprised, you know, we have so many different nations represented here, but I'm sure many of you can uh, talk about that, that there was more of a, a dependency on one another where you came, and more emphasis on the corporate but in North America, we become so individualistic and independent. But the emphasis here is he created a people. Secondly, it was a people experiencing community. And as you look at the uh, paragraph here, notice the many different instances of together. Uh, verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together 
with glad and sincere hearts. And of course, the things that they're doing, there's a togetherness, a togetherness here. Uh, broke bread together, prayed together, worshiped, praised God together. And uh, we'll see when we get to verse 47. I'll just refer to it at the end, but I look forward to dealing with it more fully later. But uh, as people became, became Christians, they too uh, came together, became part of the group. As followers of Jesus, they did these church kind of things together. And uh, I, want to, I want to mention three things that uh, sort of characterize their fellowship here. The first is that they devoted themselves to this. That's how it begins. They devoted themselves to fellowship. There's a single-minded, steadfast fidelity, strong, loyal commitment to one another. It was priority. Second observation, that they were doing things that uh, we would classify as church things together, okay? I've covered that. You know, the worship, the praise, the uh, taking the Lord's Supper together. But then I want to add another observation here. As you look at this paragraph, it seems that there was sort of a, a thing that families do together, joy of being together and, and doing things that went beyond strictly uh, spiritual things like uh, spending time in each other's homes, uh, eating together. Though granted, the eating together uh, was sometimes, not always, I don't think, but it was also part of the communion. They, they would eat together, and then at, as part of the supper together, uh, there would be communion. But uh, I sense that there was an eating together that went beyond that. Uh, hospitality, sharing possessions, uh, uh, you know, sharing much of normal life together. And it seems here that there was a joyfulness about being together. I think that's part of fellowship. Can you imagine the things not mentioned here? If you were wanting to uh, write a historic type of novel, there's so much that you could add to this thing. All these people together day after day laughing, crying, washing dishes, looking after the children who were normal children with normal needs. And uh, whatever in that culture was appropriate for being together. And I think there's a principle here about fellowship. And that is that fellowship, that experience of community, should include both the spiritual things, and the normal things. It should include, as I worded it, both praying together and playing together. And, and we do that. And we're at our best, we do that. You know our time of fellowship here afterwards? That's sort of like a playing together. It's not really part of the praying together. But it's so enjoyable to catch up with one another. Part of fellowship. Uh, after all, we're brothers and sisters. And uh, what do brothers and sisters do? Well, they do a little bit of everything, and sometimes they struggle with their relationship. But many times they celebrate their relationship. And when the chips are down, if it's a good, wholesome, healthy, extended family, again, they come together when there's a crisis and a difficulty. Well... When you think of what's going on here in the context, 
of such fellowship, they were able to experience what Jesus had referred to as the new commandment that he said, I give to you. And that was in the last hours of his life, a new commandment that I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. And then saying that that would be the evidence that the world would take note of, that you are genuine, you really are my disciples, if you have this kind of love for one another. And I want to say that <clears throat> love here is the goal, but such love does not happen in a vacuum. There needs to be a context. And I'm saying that in the context of that kind of fellowship, then you have the setting where you can have that kind of love one for another. It requires the sharing of life. It requires the building of relationships. It requires the sense of community. And I'll tell you, when you've experienced and shared deeply with one another, when you've prayed together, when you've cried together, when you've laughed together, when you have risked together, when you have supported one another in crisis, when you've ministered together, you're starting to have a bonding, and you really feel, here is community, I'm experiencing community. I'm thinking of a case in point here that uh, the worship team up here, my goodness, I suspect that they feel a kinship for one another because they're doing it Sunday after Sunday, uh, getting together, practicing, and, and sharing that. Community is being built. And I'm sure that a lot of churches will uh, think back upon the early days of their church as they did things together to get going and to take risks and to make it happen. They would look back fondly at that time as a bonding time, a time of developing, building community. And if it should happen that we go together with this other church and become a new church, the things we do together to begin with. You know, we'll, we'll all be charter members, right? And those early experiences will have the effect of bonding people together. Well, how about today? And I want to say, before I say that, well, it's part of today too, and that is that what Jesus said in that new commandment still in effect. I have not, you have not received any memo saying that this is no longer expected, that you love one another. And I'd say both parts of that equation is still in effect. The call to love each other the way Jesus loved us. And then the other part of that equation is that by this, people will know that you are, that you belong to me. If you have this kind of love one for another. Well, how do we do community today? And the exact shape will be different in every church and certainly in every nation, every denomination. There will be many ways of doing it differently. But again, I say these are still critical, all of these, the learning together, the worshiping together, sharing common experiences together in fellowship, supporting each other when there's a crisis, and encouraging one another. These things will still be in effect, and I would even go to say as today, it is even, I think, even more important, if that's possible, and a greater 
opportunity today because it's so badly needed. And why do I say that? Because in our society today, there is a breakdown in relationships so common. And the messiness, the way that many have a background, kids have a background where mom and dad split and they're not on good terms and the kids are in the middle and many of those kids, maybe 35-year-old people today, still looking for a sense of who am I and where do I belong. Um, increased mobility. Today we move around so much. My goodness, there are people back home where I grew up, they've lived there all their life. And what a, what a sense of belonging that adds to. What a sense of belonging that encourages but so many of us have moved from place to place to place. And one of the things that I'm sorry about in our own life, as uh, you know, it's not a, like a regret, it's not something I could change, but I think you can appreciate how we go to one church and we develop happy, good, wholesome, meaningful relationships. Then we move on to another place and we can't stay current with all of you. And that's a bit of a sadness. But we live in a day and age where so many are mobile. And they move around. And so more than ever, they need the kind of Christian community that I'm talking about. And uh, there's another concern that people are writing about today, and that's, that's uh, what is the outcome of spending a lot of time on uh, Internet relationships. Um, many of our family members are on Facebook, and it's, it's, it's nice to hear <laughs> They know some things about our friends because they, they, they get them on Facebook. And so there's a lot of good in that. But it can never take the place of eyeball-to-eyeball -eyeball connecting and relationship. And the concern of some of the writers is that people are spending a lot of time in, in, in rather superficial relationships because of modern technology. And there's only time for so much and perhaps neglecting the deeper relationships. So I want to say that today more than ever, we need, people need community. And through Christ in the church, we have the opportunity right there. Paul's most common metaphor of the church, and you've heard this many times, is that, is that of the physical body. And uh, Romans 12, 4 and 5, he says, Just as each of us has, has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member, and I like that last expression, each member belongs to all the others. Each member belongs to the others. It means that you have a claim on me. It means that I have a claim on you. There's ownership here. Mutual ownership, interdependence. And uh, we need that interdependence and that togetherness. And uh, let me mention just uh, quickly three obvious ones. First is mutual ministry. A, mutual ministry. Each of us needs the benefit that comes from ministering of one another using our different gifts. Because none of us has all the gifts. And the work of the Lord was never intended to be the work of a few leaders. But it's the work of the church. It's, um, 
we had a good day yesterday in uh, sports. We won. Eskimos. And we especially need to win. Edmonton needed to win for a different reason. The Eskimo, the uh, Oilers. Uh, they needed to win for a different reason. It had to do with the encouragement. I mean, after all, they've only played three games now. And I hate to say it, but their average is... Uh, Point three 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 for the right. They won one out of three, but they needed it. But that was a good day. I want to say regarding the way of ministry, we all have different gifts. It's not about figure skating, which is an individual kind of game. It's more about hockey, where you need your O'Connor McDavid and you need your Talbot. And you need uh, all of the others. You need a defenseman. They don't perhaps get as much attention. But that's the work of the Lord. And I, I need to say here about pastors too, they should not be seen as the main player, but rather as someone who can have an influence that helps the rest of the team to skate better. Sort of like a playing coach, I guess. I think of myself also as an environmentalist in that I hope to influence a better climate among us. And I think that's kind of my specialty. Mutual ministry. Another one is mutual encouragement. And I said earlier that just a big smile can make a difference. Encouragement is something everybody can do. Well, Hebrews, uh, the book of Hebrews is written to Christians, many of whom are, well, they're almost ready to throw in the towel. There's a certain amount of persecution going. And if you read through that epistle, you could write the word perseverance over the, most of the pages. This is so much about perseverance. Hang in there. Don't give up. Hebrews 3.13 says, Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Hang in there. <laughs> but in order to help make that happen, encourage one another. Do you think that we need it less today? You know, sin is still deceitful, luring, promising what it can't deliver. And encouragement can make the difference between staying on the path or straying. Or it can make a difference, and it does make a difference on the level of one's fruitfulness. Encourage one another. And then, C, mutual belonging. We need community today so that there's that sense of belonging. That last part that I referred to, Romans uh, 12, 4 and 5, each member belongs to all the others. And I know that that is to be taken literally, I think especially, that objectively, of course, we belong to one another in an objective sense. But you know something? We need it in a subjective sense too. We need that sense that we belong here. Here I am. I'm accepted the way I am with all my imperfections and struggles. Here I receive my support. And if I'm going through a really hard time and I blow it, I'm still part of the family. And it's in the context of the family 
that I can straighten out. Please understand, this is not about knowing everyone in the church. If you feel you have to know everyone in the church, then you, of course, have to be a very small church, right? So you can know everybody. No. It doesn't matter whether you're in a church of 100 people or a church of 1,000 people. You need that experience. You need that close fellowship with a few people who really know you, who really care about you, people who are often with you and always for you, those who will share in your joys and in your sorrows and support you. There's a column entitled Search for Spiritual, The Search of Spiritual Community, and uh, one writer reports on three main things that community seekers are looking for. And again, I remind you of our world today, my, how people, I think, whether they know it or not, are hungry for community. These are the three things, acceptance. I don't want to be excluded because I'm not at the same place in my life's journey as you are. (laughs) I'm immature. I'm just beginning. I still struggle. I want to still be accepted. B, willingness to get to know me. I want, I, want to be, I want to know and I want to be known because I have needs and hurts that have brought me here. And then three, a place where I can work with a circle of friends towards growing and serving. Acceptance, willingness for people to get to know me, and then a place where together with others we can work on me becoming what I'm supposed to be. These are experiences of belonging. In one of his books, Charles Swindolls writes, what we need, he says, is that special something that, are you ready for this? Many people find in the local bar, he says. Put on your shock boots and see if you agree with the following comparison between the bar and the church. The neighborhood bar is possibly the best counterfeit that there is to the fellowship. Christ wants to give his ch- the fellowship that Christ wants to give to his church. It's an imitation, dispensing liquor instead of grace, escape rather than reality. But it is a permissive, accepting, and inclusive fellowship. It's unshockable. It's democratic. You can tell people secrets and they usually don't tell others or even want to. And he says the bar flourishes not because most people are alcoholics, but because God has put into the human heart the desire to know and to be known, to love and to be loved. And so many seek a counterfeit in the price of a few beers. Then he says, with all my heart, I believe that Christ wants his church to be a fellowship where people can come in and say, I'm sunk, I'm beat, I've had it. And then I would add a few words, a safe place where you can take off your mask and still be loved knowing you belong. Isn't that the way it is in family? I mean, these little children in in a good, wholesome family, it doesn't even occur to them that they should sort of, you know, squelch their personalities and when they feel angry they express it they're real they're authentic a safe place where you can take off your mask and still be loved knowing you belong and a place of support when your world caves in community 
people in relationships with one another. It's key. I would even go further. I'd say it's critical to being a good church. It's key to each of our respective progress in our growth as Christians. But I want to finish by saying it is also key to our capacity to reach outsiders. Verse 47, uh, as they were becoming Christians, it, it says that they were being added to the community. It was the most natural thing. They're being saved and they're added to the number. And I look forward to saying a lot more about verse 47 later. But I want to drop a couple of thoughts with you regarding outreach. Let's not think of outreach as a separate entity. You know, many churches, they have their they have their committee of fellowship and their committee of property and their committee of Christian education and also the committee of outreach. And I suggest it's a better plan to think of all of them as having that outreach component, emphasizing we need to have an outward focus. I mean, think of what that means for worship, outward focus, outreach, evangelism. Think of what it means for education in Sunday school. Outward focus. Outreach. Think of what it means uh, of all, of all the committee, different ones, even property. What, what does this piece of property really look like to our neighbors? You know, are they, are they pleased we're here or are we a, an eyesore? Outward focus. And I say that everything we do should be done with that outward orientation so that other people can also be caught up in this people movement. I'd like to, I'd like to give you a metaphor that I'm going to bring up again. Um, Swiss cheese. What do you especially notice about, what's unique about Swiss cheese? It's, it's got holes in it. And I'm saying what we do as a church should be porous. The walls, the boundaries should be porous so that outsiders can sort of <laughs> slip, slip in as well and feel, yeah, I think I could belong here, you know? Swiss cheese. Community family says they devoted themselves to the fellowship. And you say, well, how can I, how can I practice that? Well, the main way is really just to be, make sure you're part of the mix. Bring yourself into it. Bring yourself into it the way you are, with your struggles and your strengths, your gifts and your weaknesses, supporting one another as well as being supported, whatever the occasion calls for at the time. But that's the main thing. Bring yourself. Be part of that mix. Let's be the kind of church where it can be said by those who check us out, these people are real. <laughs> I get the sense they're not pretending to be saintly particularly, but they look pretty ordinary to me. They're down to earth. They really care for each other. It's obvious that these people like being together. They obviously feel they belong. And, you know, I can tell, too, that if I were to come along here, because they made me feel welcome, if I were to become part of them, I, too, would have that sense of belonging. Let's be that kind of church. 
And that means being a community where we are now as well as in our future. Let's pray. Father, we are so privileged, so privileged to be welcomed into your family, into your community, the way that we are. And then as we become part of it, you help us, you direct us, you enlighten us related to weakness, related to struggles, as well as wonderful opportunities to be part of something meaningful. So, Father, we pray your Spirit might minister to each of us now according to our individual need. And may we continue, may we continue honoring you and celebrate the way you have blessed us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.